the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. You get the visual image here, Paul? You go to Jerusalem, you're going to be tied up, bound over to the Gentiles. And in fact, it goes on to say in verse 12 that when we heard this, We and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's powerful. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through the book of Acts. The Apostle Paul was a man wholly devoted to the job Christ had given him on the road to Damascus to share the gospel. Paul was willing to give up everything for this cause. He was beaten, shipwrecked, poverty-stricken, famished, and left abandoned by friends. All this hardship did not stop Paul. In fact, When the Lord warned him that going to Jerusalem would result in his arrest and ultimate martyrdom, Paul did not hesitate to go anyway. In today's message, Pastor Gary challenges you to fully dedicate your life in zealous passion to God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary for today's message from the book of Acts, chapter 21. Here in Acts chapter 21, we we finished uh, Acts 20 last uh, week. And in Acts chapter uh, 20, the scene here on this third missionary journey of Paul's. There's a a lot of red lines there. It starts in Antioch of Syria, and he has made his way to Greece, and now he's on the return uh, to Jerusalem. And so in the center of your map, chapter 20 ends with him at uh, Miletus. And in Miletus, he sends for the elders in Ephesus. Ephesus uh, was about 40 to 50 miles to the north of Miletus. And it is at Miletus that he meets with these elders of Ephesus and he just bids them farewell. He doesn't know if he'll ever see them again. He spent two to three years at the church of Ephesus, planting it, building it, encouraging it. And on his way back after his third missionary journey, he just bids farewell to these Ephesian elders and he challenges them. He encourages them at the end of chapter 20. We talked about this in verse 28. He said, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. He says also in verse 28, be shepherds of the church of God. And he says in verse 31, be on your guard because he warns them that there's the potential for the church to be divided. He said from within and from without. 
He says from the outside, he calls them savage wolves, grievous wolves are going to come in. They're going to try to distort the truth. And he says, even from your own number within, men will arise and they will try to draw disciples after themselves. So he says to these elders at the church of Ephesus who are meeting him here at Miletus, he says, you guys got to be on your guard. He says, remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you day and night. And he says, I'm innocent of the blood of all men because I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. He says, I've told you the whole Bible from cover to cover. I've discharged my duties. He says, now I exhort you as elders of the church to be careful, to keep watch, to be shepherds, and to be on your guard because you don't want the church to be divided. Now, the church is going to survive because we see later in Revelation that Jesus writes a letter and dictates a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he commends them for some things, and he, and he condemns them for some things. And so, you know, as in all churches, there's some things that we do well, and there's some things we don't do very well, and those things that we do well, we should build on, and the things we don't do well, we need to repent of and correct ourselves and, and do what is right because we want to follow Jesus, who is the chief shepherd of the church. So that's where chapter 20 ended. Paul is now on his way to Jerusalem, uh, going to be setting sail from Miletus. Look at chapter 21 with me, verse 1. He says, after we had torn ourselves away from them, meaning the elders that he just spoke to, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos, which is a little island there uh, off of uh, Turkey. And he says, the next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patara. So on our map, uh, Rhodes is a little island in the middle of the Mediterranean, so they sail from Miletus to Rhodes and then over to Patara, which is a city in what is now southern Turkey. And, uh, and then he says in verse 2, we found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria we landed at Tyre. So here on the map, we continue from Patara down south of the island of Cyprus, and they arrive at uh, Tyre, which is a seaport city in what today is Lebanon. And so that's uh, where, they, where they first uh, land. Verse, uh, middle of verse 3, we landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo, finding the disciples there, some other believers. We stayed with them seven days. And through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. But when our time was up, we left and continued on our way. All the disciples and their wives and children. By the way, first mention of children in the New Testament church. Accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship, and they returned home. So they have this... Uh, tearful farewell at Tyre. And, um, you know, listen, everybody is, is crying and weeping and hugging Paul as they say goodbye because they honestly don't know if they're going to see him again. His life is constantly in jeopardy. When you put your neck on the line, literally, as he did, and eventually he, he will be beheaded for his faith. When you put your neck on the line for the gospel and you don't know from day to day if you're going to be killed, then the people who love you are going to naturally want to always be saying goodbye to you with, with warm embrace and a tearful goodbye because they don't know if they will see you again. Now, it's interesting here because it tells us in verse 4 that through the Spirit they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. So it tells us that the Holy Spirit is involved in this warning here. And then the question becomes, is Paul disobeying the Holy Spirit because he's being warned through the Spirit? 
uh, not to go to Jerusalem? Um, Or is he simply being prepared by the Spirit? And and those who are warning him are taking it a step too far by telling him not to go. In other words, it might be okay just by the Spirit to say, be careful, Paul, be aware, there's trouble ahead. Uh, And so maybe that's the only message they were supposed to share. And so Paul was just supposed to be prepared for what he's going to be facing. Or did they, in fact, give a word from the Lord, urging him not to go to Jerusalem, and he disobeyed it? Now, it's, it's, it's debatable. We're going to see a similar thing happens further in this chapter, so I'll say a little bit more as we get to the next section, but let's keep reading here. Verse 7, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemy, uh, where we greeted the brothers and stayed with them for a day. So they're, they're just going down the coast uh, of the Mediterranean uh, from Lebanon down into Israel. And so I don't have Ptolemy on the map, but uh, then it says that they come here to Caesarea, verse, landed at Ptolemy where we greeted the brothers, stayed with them for a day. Verse 8, leaving the next day we reached Caesarea. So that's further down in the map here. So now, now he's gone further down to Caesarea. It's a beautiful seaport city on the Mediterranean. Those of you going... We have about 80 going on our trip to Israel in two months, and so Caesarea is one of our first stops where we have a Bible study, and uh, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful uh, town, uh, just archaeological remains now, but right on the Mediterranean. And so he says that we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Okay, you might remember Philip all the way back from Acts chapter 6, and it says here he's one of the seven. It's capital S, because remember, it tells us in Acts chapter 6, the early church was growing. They had some explosive conversion and growth of the early church. And so what happened was, as and this is, this is key for our church too, as the Lord has grown our church over the years, we want to do our best so that people don't fall through the cracks and get overlooked in ministry. People have needs, and we want to be faithful to minister to people. But what happens is when, when the church gets so large, you've got to raise up people to help shoulder the responsibility of ministering to people. And in Acts chapter 6, it says that the Grecian Jews, the, 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 the Jews from Greece, were complaining to the Hebraic Jews that their widows, the Greek widows, were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. And so the, the apostles gathered together and, and decided, well, that isn't right. We don't want, we don't want your, your Jewish widows uh, to be overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So they raised up the first seven deacons in the Bible. Now, the Greek word is diakonia, and so that's where we get our English word deacons. It doesn't say the word deacon in Acts chapter 6, but that's the word that is used in the Greek, and that's the English uh, transliteration. So there were seven, originally seven Deacons who were raised up for the purpose of helping in ministry uh, to, to just take care of some of the needs of the people. By the way, all seven had Greek names. All seven who were originally raised up had Greek names. Why is that important? Because who were the ones complaining? The Grecian Jews were complaining that their widows are being overlooked in the daily distribution of the food. And if you don't find that a, a funny thing, that's because you're not a pastor. Because I can tell you that there are, you know, from time to time, over the last 25 years, I've gotten a couple of suggestions. <laughs> how we should do ministry, and how the church should do this, and how the church should do that. And if it lines up with our philosophy of ministry, and I think it's a good fit for what our church is about, I'll say, great, you do it. 
And that's exactly what happened in Acts chapter 6. The Grecian Jews were complaining, and it was the Greeks who got chosen to do the work of the ministry. Again, it's probably only me that gets a charge out of that, but I just like that. Now, Philip then, in Acts chapter 8, is used by the Lord in a miraculous and a wonderful way. He ministers in Samaria, and many of the people of Samaria come to faith in Christ. And then also in Acts chapter 8 is when he has that experience where the Lord uh, tells him to go to the road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. And there he sees this Ethiopian eunuch, this man who was uh, an official in the court of uh, Queen Candace of Ethiopia. And here he is making a journey to Jerusalem because he's, he's seeking the Lord. And on the way back, his caravan is going back to Ethiopia and the Holy Spirit says to Philip, go stand by his chariot. And he, and he goes standing by the chariot of this guy, and he's reading a scroll from Isaiah. And so Philip then asks him, do you know what you're reading? I have no idea. No, no one's here to explain to me what, what this means. And so Philip then, used by the Lord, explains Isaiah. Maybe he was even open Isaiah 52 and 53, which talks about the prophecy of Isaiah about Messiah. He even shares about who Messiah is. And then the Ethiopian eunuch believes. He's water baptized. And then an incredible thing is, is spoken of Philip. It says then he just immediately disappears. So it's just like beam me up Scotty experience in Acts chapter 8 where Philip all of a sudden is, boy that dated myself some of you are like what does that mean anyway google it but so so Philip just it disappears all of a sudden and and he's gone and so but that's that Philip now he's called here we have, so we haven't heard of him for like 15 to 20 years and and now we find out he's got a little villa in Caesarea who wouldn't it's on the Mediterranean it's beautiful so there Philip is, and he's referred to as an evangelist, because he is. He's led many people to Christ in, in, in Acts chapter 8. And it tells us, in addition to him being one of the seven, seven original deacons, that he also had four unmarried daughters, still living at home, who prophesied. So his daughters had this prophetic gift. Now, here he is, an evangelist. And so, you know, listen, this, this isn't typical uh, but apparently, Philip does not have a nonprofit organization. Just let it sink in, folks. Come on. I know it's the middle of the week, and, and so you're a little fuzzy in your head. He has four prophet daughter, right? Okay. And it also suggests to us that he's very financially well off because he's made a few profits in his life. But anyhow, so now let's get back to the story. But I actually did stop to think, what would it be like to be in a house where there's an evangelist and four prophetesses? What would that be like? So Philip is like, he's going to his daughters one day, and he's like, hey, girls, listen, I need to have a serious discussion with you. Stop already, Dad. We know what you're going to tell us. Ah, that's right. You're all prophets. But here they are, very gifted. What a gifted household here. Gifted by the Spirit in the area of evangelism. Gifted by the Spirit in the area of a prophetic ministry here that these girls have here. And it says that this is where Paul comes and stays with them. And then in verse 10, it says, After we had been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. Coming over to us, he took Paul's belt. This is kind of interesting tied his own hands and feet with it, and said, The Holy Spirit says, In this way the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Okay, now, this is warning number two. 
And this is, a, a, you know, a little strange. I don't know, maybe not. But if, if somebody comes and takes my belt off, I'd be a little uh, curious. You know, what are you doing? Uh, and so Agabus comes, takes Paul's belt off around his waist, and then proceeds to tie his own hands and his own feet up. So, I mean, it's kind of a visual illustration, I suppose. But, but then, he, then he, by the Spirit, says, listen, in the same way, this is what's going to happen to you. You get the visual image here, Paul? You go to Jerusalem... You're going to be tied up, bound over to the Gentiles. And in fact, it goes on to say in verse 12 that when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And that's powerful. I am ready not only to be bound but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, well, the Lord's will be done. Now, again, this is the second warning here. So the question is, are they, are they going a little too far with this? And so they have, they have a word of knowledge that is correct, where the Holy Spirit is warning Paul, about the hardships that lie ahead, and they've just taken it a little bit further than that and said, so you shouldn't go. Uh, and, and therefore, it's simply a, a preparation by the Spirit. Or are they saying everything by the Spirit, including you shouldn't go, and Paul is disobeying the voice of the Holy Spirit here? Now, um, when I consider Paul's life, and I think he, you know, this, this is the guy who, when I get to heaven, he's going to be way in the front of the line. I'll be looking at the back of his head, okay? He's going to be a lot closer to the throne. I, I personally don't think he's disobeying the Holy Spirit here. I, I mean, look, we're all frail and we're all human, and even the Apostle Paul can get it wrong sometimes. But I sincerely believe that he just feels called by the Lord to go, and he's going to go. And out of the goodness of the heart to the people who love him, they don't want to see him die. So I'm not sure that he's rebelling here. I just simply think that the Holy Spirit is preparing him. And out of their love for Paul, maybe they're adding the second part. I can't say for sure, but I I find it difficult to believe that twice over the same situation, Paul is just going to defiantly say, no, I'm just going to disobey the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go anyway. So... You know, we don't really know for sure, but I suspect here that this is a warning so that Paul would be prepared, you know, mentally to be ready. This is what's coming, uh, but not necessarily that he shouldn't go. That may not be the whole part of the message. That part might have been an addendum from the people who love him. Regardless, he goes here. And they, when they realized, well, we're, you know, we're, we're not going to dissuade him, they just said, well, the Lord's will be done. You know, they defer to the Lord's will. By the way, that's not a bad thing. When, when you don't know what else to pray and what else to do, it's okay to say, well, the Lord's will be done. I've heard sometimes people say that's kind of a cop-out, that we should always know what God's will is and declare it and stand on it and confess it. You know what? I, I just don't think we always are going to be 100% tuned in. And there's, there's, there are times when it's okay to just simply say, hey, Lord, I'm going to pray according to what I believe is your, is your will and, and is your best, but I defer to you. 
so your will be done. That's not a cop-out. That's just deferring to the sovereignty of God. Your will be done. So after this, verse 15, we got ready and went up to Jerusalem. Now notice, they're going south. It's the last part on the bottom of the screen, if you can still see it. They're going south, but they always say go up to Jerusalem because it is higher elevation, but it is a high and holy place. So always in the scripture, it's going up to Jerusalem, even if you're going south. And so they go up to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea accompanied us and brought us to the home of Manasseh, uh, where we were to stay. He was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. So this is now the end of Paul's third missionary journey. Um, when you total all of his travels here, he travels about a little more than 2,500 miles. 2,500 miles. About 1,200 miles by sea and about 1,300 miles by land. That's his journey. And this is a day when there's not modern transportation, of course. So this, you're, you're hiking a lot and you're sailing a lot. 1,200 miles by sea, 1,300 miles by land, a total of about a little more than 2,500 miles. Verse 17 says, When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers received us warmly. The next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. Now, this is the half-brother of Jesus. That's, that's this James, the half-brother of Jesus. He now has become the leader of the early church in Jerusalem. We went to see James, and all the elders were present. Paul greeted them and reported in detail what God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard this, they praised God. And then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed, and all of them are zealous for the law. They have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join in their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. Then everybody will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. All right, pause there for a moment. Here's what's going on. Paul comes back to Jerusalem. It's the end of his missionary journey. He basically gives a progress report. Here's what happened. Here are the people that got saved. And the leaders in Jerusalem, they're thrilled about this. They're like, this is wonderful. Let me tell you also, many thousands of people have been saved here in Jerusalem as well. This is great. We got a problem, Paul. And the problem is that Jews, because up to this point, I mean, it's not exclusively Jewish, but the New Testament church is majority Jewish believers in Christ. And these Jews, who are believers in Jesus as Messiah, are having heartburn over the idea that they think Paul is saying Judaism goes out the window. Everything about Judaism, and, and, and they think Paul, though he's a Jew, is being completely anti-Jew, and that what he's saying now is, you just need to forget all of the Jewish stuff, Jewish law, Jewish customs, Jewish feasts, Jewish festivals, all this stuff, and just be a Christian and a follower of Christ, that's all that matters. 
And so the leaders of Jerusalem are like, we got a dilemma here because there are some Jews who believe in Jesus, but they still like to practice some of the feasts and festivals and customs of Judaism. They think you're anti-Jew, Paul. So they say, what should we do? And before Paul could answer, they're like, in fact, let's just tell you what we, what we need to do. There's much more to glean from the pages of Acts and the history of the early church, but we'll pause our journey through it for today. Join us next time as Pastor Gary continues to share the the power of the Holy Spirit with us. If you'd like to learn more about Cornerstone Connection, Pastor Gary, or the church these messages originate from, we encourage you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Browse through our archive of previous messages while you're there and feel free to share them with friends and family. Download our mobile app as well to keep God's Word with you as you go about your daily activities. Pastor Gary has also made available a study guide to accompany his series in Acts. You can find this digital booklet and companion resources under the Teachings tab. Do you live in the Leesburg area or will you be visiting in the near future? If so, we'd like to extend an invitation to join us for our weekly gatherings. We meet each Sunday and Wednesday to spend time in prayer and worship and studying the Bible. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc for service times, more information, and directions. If you can't join us in person, don't worry. We live stream our services. Just click the link under the teachings tab. Thanks for joining us today. And be sure to tune in again for another edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know. You're not a Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.